0: Welcome to another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. I'm Donald Dennis. You can find me all over the wilds of the internet as well. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to have on a wonderful guest, Dustin, who's been on the show before with Board Gaming and Education. Hey, Dustin, welcome back.
1: Hey, Donald. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to actually get a chance to chat with you. I know I've talked with Kathleen a lot, uh, either on the show and then just being able to coordinate with her about game-based learning and things related to board games. So I'm excited to be here and actually get a chance to chat chat with you. Yeah, um, she gets a lot of great guests
0: and I am happy to steal as many of them as possible. (laughs) (laughs) And also, yeah, she would have been here today, but she's busy packing up stuff for her big move. So um, sorry, she couldn't be here. She wanted me to pass along her regrets.
1: No, that's okay.
0: But all right. So um, would you let our listeners know Uh, where they can find you on the internet or or where?
1: Yeah. So board game with education is our community and online store. We now create learning resources for hobby board games and mass market board games. Uh, You can find me just anywhere board game with education. Usually if you search in any social media will pop up. Um, But yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to share a little bit about what I've learned this past year through the pandemic and supporting teachers. Excellent.
0: And yeah, Board Gaming with Education has got like 125 episodes as of this recording. So if you've consumed all of games in schools and libraries and you need more <laughs> relevant information, or even if you don't, haven't listened to all of our episodes, uh, go over there and check that out. Uh, you'll find some interesting topics and uh, some other good guests who we should probably go through and pull for some of your guests. <laughs> yeah, uh, But uh, since there seems to be a bit of overlap. All right. Well, Excellent as you mentioned one of the reasons that we have hooked up to discuss this is I'm looking for my work and for of course for our listeners to find out that they want how they're going to cope with this pandemic uh, still integrate games into either schools or libraries and so you've got a bit of experience of being sort of supporting that kind of stuff so what have you found or or where would you like to start
1: yeah um, I guess maybe something I can chat about. At the beginning, and kind of frame this discussion is, uh, please. And I don't know if I, I don't know if I should be saying this because I was interviewing for a position. I haven't received the position yet. But what I really want to highlight is the, kind of the conversation I had with the person that I was um, interviewing with, and she's the after-school program director. They were looking for enrichment programs for the after-school program, um, and kind of the the mentality that they have at their school now is not necessarily using enrichment programs tied to learning outcomes but now using enrichment programs for that social aspect uh, that students are really missing in their normal day-to-day school lives and i love that games can be there for that social aspect because i mean a lot of people talk about board games and why they like board games and they talk about how it's a social lubricant and how they can use that as a kind of platform to engage with you know, friends and family and have something that's there to kind of share and experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of um, one main, I guess, takeaway. I would say that this last year has shown is that games can really be that support for developing relationships. And I, I really hope that that continues in the classroom. And I know a lot of teachers are, are a lot more comfortable with, you know, spending a little bit time, a little bit more time during their virtual classes to just play a game because uh, they are missing that social aspect. And I know that there's a lot of uh, restrictions, you know, you have to get to a certain point in the semester and you have to cover certain material in the semester. So sometimes it's kind of hard to just kind of play a game. Right.
0: Right. But I think it never has been more apparent uh, on a global scale, uh, but particularly here in the U S right now, that there's a lot of social education that should be happening that may not be happening. Uh, <laughs> um, right. It's like, well, social engagement, first of all, because a lot of folks have been starved for the past year for any kind of connection, and that social connection is important. But, yeah, just the idea of community and conversation uh, is something that who would have thought you have to train people on? I mean, okay, professionals, I know we have to train people. I'm speaking <laughs> – What's yeah. theoretically right, right. Uh, academically. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's that's pretty exciting that now you're allowed to bring in. Hey, this is a social activity for social sake.
1: Right, right. Yeah, that's really well put. Like for social sake, it's really important. I think.
0: Uh, so now. Before, what, what was your educational background the, as far as games and education? Uh, give give a quick rundown, besides having done 125 episodes <laughs> of, ga- of board gaming with education.
1: Right. So uh, my main experience is teaching English as a second language, and I got a master's degree uh, in 2013, 2014. And since then, I've kind of really dove into game-based learning gamification. It was maybe about a year outside of my master's degree. I started looking at how I can apply board games for teaching English. And then looking at that and looking at my journey in game-based learning gamification, I realized I was doing some gamification activities like very, very early on in my teaching without knowing there was a term for it. Um, Right. So, yeah, I mean... Just since uh, starting in Taiwan, I've done like a, I've been gamified an entire course. I've done a lot of game-based learning activities through teaching grammar points, through teaching uh, business negotiation and grammar grammar uh, structures that come up in those kind of sentences and vocabulary. Uh, so doing a lot of game-based learning gamification and teaching English as a second language. But since we've kind of expanded with board game with education, I've used a lot of those skill sets and helping teachers support helping support teachers using game-based learning or gamification strategies and other content areas, too. Nice.
0: Well, now for the easy question. How has all <laughs> that changed?
1: Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, this is still so tough because I, we see things bubbling up and we see things happening in classrooms and teachers doing things. And again, I haven't been in the classroom since last August. I've been doing board game with education full time. So a lot of my experiences, you know, a lot of my good friends are still teachers. I'm helping teachers use games that they find in our community and kind of discussing through that. So, uh, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of things are happening. I think one thing that I like to highlight whenever I talk about game based learning during this time is a lot of board game publishers are in the same boat. So they're creating a lot of these tools and resources for virtual experiences that you could probably just kind of tap into and use in your classroom. I mean, well, one good one is co- Code Codenames. Mm-hmm. Um, the publisher created a uh, web browser experience with their game. There's limited words in the game. I mean, from what I'm kind of seeing, I've played it a few times, maybe they've added words. So... Of course, the actual board game you're going to have a lot more uh, replayable value, I guess. But even just that browser experience, you can play it probably a dozen times before, uh, before maybe the words are kind of repeated. Um, and even, even
0: if if you're teaching a language, for example, if it, if it's a language issue, then you know repeat exposure is always good up right. to a point, right?
1: Right, and I don't know. I know. I know in a lot of other games, you can kind of add your own vocabulary. Oh, another game is Where Words, and that's one that can be played oh, I virtually. I Words, yes. Yeah, it's so good. And you can add your own vocabulary to that. So, again, going back to like using games as a social experience, but then there are some tools you can use to still tie in some content objectives. So, I mean, or re- kind of reviewing what you've kind of covered, but still, again, leaning into that social experience of the game.
0: One of the reasons I wanted to do this, just so that you know where I'm coming from, is that we did our, re- our annual performance review uh, recently. And I tell you what, never has there been a weirder set of performance reviews of like, I feel like I have not done nearly enough. And then uh, the boss compares you to some other places and they go, well, you've done great. You've done an amazing, congratulations, you've done all these things. And so I'm trying to figure out what we can do what other stuff we can sort of help folks find or do, even if it's just a small tip or, or, or what, or where we can get teachers or librarians to sort of, you know, pull, pull this into their daily practice. And so I don't know what, what do you want to talk about next Dustin?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess um, one thing that I always talk about is, and I think you probably highlight this a lot on the show too, is uh, playing more games is really important. And just, I don't know, I I guess from my experience and doing games through Board Game with Education, we do uh, streams every once in a while and we have tried doing some games in the community. One, I guess, thing that I'm kind of nervous about every time I do it is what if no one shows up? Um, I would say that is a real fear that I think people have is like, okay, let's, you know, maybe you're a librarian and you're putting on a, a game night and you're kind of worried no one shows up. Well, I think consistency and just doing it on a consistent basis, week by week or every month or however often you can do it is really important because you're going to build that, that uh, base of people who've come, who have came to play, and they're going to have a good time because you're playing games. And then eventually you're going to have a very strong base of people who you can almost count on to show up each each event.
0: Right, right, right. And another thing is, is that especially when you're getting star- started, Unless you're paying for a service of some sort, and I don't, I don't even know what that would look like, that the overhead on starting one online or starting something that's a little more distanced um, is pretty low.
1: Right. Yeah. As, far
0: as, as far as, oh, I can still do other things while I'm waiting on people to show up if you're talking for an online game. Um, and I can engage them when they show up. And I don't know, are you talking purely online or, or how often are you guys, are you dealing with any in-person stuff at this point?
1: Um, we're not. I, we we tried to do some in-person stuff uh, when we, again, we were chatting before I moved back from Taiwan. I guess it's been about a year and a half now. Uh, we started doing some in-person stuff. We were kind of getting people to show up finally after about a month of month and a half of doing it on a week-by-week basis in then the pandemic kind of hit and we were like, okay, right, well, we can't do it anymore. But yeah, virtually. And I mean, what's really cool is if you are kind of nervous about, you know, using a game in your class or using your a game in uh like an after school program or whatever virtually online, again, going back to that idea that board game publishers are creating these virtual experiences, there's a lot of access to things that you can just try out with friends and family first. And I think that kind of helps to ease your comfort into using a game in a classroom or a learning setting or even just a experience that you might have to put on for someone instead of just playing among friends or family.
0: Right. Uh, Are there tools that you would suggest or do we just need to be stuck with sort of what our institution uh, already has available to us?
1: Yeah, I guess one tool that actually is some big news now is Asmodee is like a huge board game company. They they own like Catan and uh, I don't know, a lot of different like Ticket to Ride, a lot of different modern popular board games. They just bought Board Game Arena, which was a big website that people used the last few months during the pandemic. Hmm. But I don't know. I don't know how it will change now that they own it. But there's a lot of games you can play on there. And What's really cool about that platform is the games are coded, if that makes sense. I don't know the terminology for it, but right. Oh, yes. So
0: Tabletop Simulator, it's a physics engine where all the pieces are there, but you can do whatever you want with them. But Board Game Arena, the uh, the scripting is all done and it's it's less it's less just a physics engine. It's more you're actually it knows it knows the rules of the game as well.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's a cool I guess, website to check out. And another thing that we put together and also the broader board gaming community put together is a place where you can play games online. So we created a blog post titled like five best board game websites of 2020 or other resources. And in that blog post, we linked to this Google sheet. It has over 150 places you can play board games online for free. Or I think think they're for free. I mean, there might be a couple on there that you have to pay for, but for the right. most part, they're free. Um, well, yeah. and there
0: are, there are some that have some games for free and others for pay. So right. uh, you, you can figure out if you even like the interface or the way that, that that resource works. Right, right. We're learning to cope or to act in this new, more virtual environment. How do you think that that's going to affect uh, education in the long run? Or, or what do you think will carry over past the pandemic? And what do you think will be left behind?
1: Well, I think going back to what you mentioned, the social aspect of learning is really important. And I don't, I don't know if I have, I mean, of course, I don't have the an answer to this. But one thing that I'm hearing and I heard very early on, because I was helping with a school last, I guess, last spring when the pandemic hit, like March into the end of the school year. And then I helped at the very beginning of last school year and left the school towards the beginning. But One thing that a lot of teachers, and I heard, and I'm curious, maybe teachers can kind of share this in your community too, and I'd love to hear from teachers what they're planning to do, but that they've learned a lot in this virtual environment and some things that are working very well in their classrooms virtually, they're excited to kind of carry over to a less or like an in-person environment. Um, One thing that I did as a teacher, and I'm excited and I was happy I did it because it helped me kind of experience the pandemic and see it as i guess i don't want to say a positive but it kind of i had these tools already in my tool belt and seeing the pandemic hit and going virtual for me was like okay i I kind of already done this so i know that this tool set works in this in this uh in this uh, experience or in this time and that was flipping my classroom and i had flipped my classroom when i was teaching in taiwan and the reason i did it was because I was teaching a writing course and I had one course, one class, I guess one course had over or class segment had over 70 students in the class. And I, there was no way I was going to be able to, uh, kind of look at their essays and grade them 70 essays week by week. So what I did is I flipped the classroom. We did content, uh, virtually and I created videos and did that online. And then in class I did a lot of peer to peer or, uh, Mentorship through their writing, so I would meet with them one on one. But I think what's going to happen: a lot of teachers are going to realize they've had to figure out different tool sets or skill sets to overcome the challenges of teaching virtually. And they're going to realize these things that they've done in the past virtually, and they're going to find these tools actually work in the classroom and might help benefit their students in other ways that they hadn't uh, hadn't experienced or thought of before.
0: Do you think teachers are going to be more tolerant of electronic devices in classrooms or that those are still going to be, uh, put your phone away or whatever?
1: Yeah, I think it. I think it's going to come down to the teacher. That that was another thing for me with with Taiwan is, um, I mean, teaching university students, I think in general, all over the world, they're going to be on their phones. I'm always on my phone. And I, I, I said, well, you know what? I'm going to create instruction that requires them to be on their phone. So I did like cahoots and they'd have to get on their phone and play. I did different um, writing prompts, they'd have to go on to Google Classroom and answer those. And this was all before before the pandemic, so not a lot of people were using Google Classroom at that time. And again, just, I think it comes down to having these past experiences, being able to take those to the future and when we're back in person and realizing maybe, yeah, maybe phones are okay in the classroom. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it feel like, felt like Google Classroom had, it's, it's very devout users and then a lot of people are like oh that sounds cool i don't know what to, you know don't it's not worth it for me to make the leap right whereas it turns out it would have been worth it for you to have made the leap a year or two ago uh but uh, you know you didn't have the time i guess for something. yeah
1: and there's so many cool things you can do with like uh virtual platforms like google classroom i mean Going back to gamifying my course is I gamified my uh, university course and it was based on Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. So a lot <laughs> of the yeah, a lot of the content for the game was in Google Classroom. So that helped me to be able to gamify my course and I think that that's going to be really cool as teachers are going to look at these tools they've used and realize some other cool things they can do with them.
0: Well, I was just on uh, Lantern Noir's. Uh, Twitch stream and we used Google Jamboards or something. Okay. As, um, as As the way that we were sharing notes and and talking about the different puzzles and things like that and keeping track of stuff. And is that is is the the jam part of Google Classroom or is that something else?
1: I I mean I don't think so. It's probably part of the I guess the Google Suite, but I haven't used Google Jamboards. I remember looking at it briefly, and I was just kind of like, okay, I'm not really sure what I can do with this. Um, it's yeah, a neat little
0: collaborative tool. It, it felt sort of like what they did with Google Wave. It's like, "Oh, we're going to do something else with this type of tech."
1: Okay. Kind of maybe makes me think of another uh where teachers, a lot of teachers have used this recently and it's um you kind of create your own slides and there's a just a web page of slides. Well,
0: I use I use Google Slides as my PowerPoint replacement um most of the time now. So which is bad because now we have no internet at work. <laughs> yeah, we lost everything. So they're having to rebuild our network structure.
1: Oh, that's geez. exciting! Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah, it's a lot of work. I think, right? It seems to be.
0: It's been going on for about a month and a half. Dustin, do you have any ideas or any uh, any feedback for the teachers to sort of help them feel comfortable with uh, doing gaming online more as part of their? school activities
1: yeah for sure and just before i answer that the name of the resource is Flipgrid. i don't know if you're familiar with that oh i'm unfamiliar s- with that let me write I'm that based, down yeah it might be sim- similar to cool jamboard but essentially you kind of create your own like uh, i guess poster on a web page is kind of the best way to put it you mm. can like add videos and audio but yeah a lot of teachers have been using that one thing that i always think about when i use game-based learning so game-based learning is using a game and tying it into a learning outcome is mm-hmm. being flexible. A lot of what we do with Board Game with Education and a lot of what I've done in the past is I've looked at lessons and I've looked at how to make it more engaging. And oftentimes I'd, I'd like to include a game. So I would either look at some games that I've already I'm already familiar with and think about how I can integrate those in the classroom, whether that's adding more players to it when the game doesn't allow for that many players. So how can I make it work with More players. So, one example is Trap Words. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a game similar to Taboo where you are trying to guess a word. So, in Taboo, you're guessing, you're trying to get your team to guess the word apple, and you can't say tree, fruit, or Washington. So, in Trap Words, it's the same thing, but instead of the game giving you the words, the other team gives you the words. So, they're thinking of words that you might use to get your team to guess apple. So, they might not write Washington, they might write something like red instead. Um. So, what I've done with trap boards is that's a team-based game. It's only one team versus one team. So, I've created three teams out of that game, and the third team is usually the moderator. So, they're keeping track of the three different rules in the game where you can lose, which is your time, the number of guesses you have, and the trap boards. So, with that, there's also the other team that's kind of listening to their trap So, I'm thinking about how the game works in a way that engages all players in the learning process and also in the game playing process um, so just kind of thinking about what you can do by being flexible with the games that are already out there um, and again with board game of the education we look at some games out there we look at how we can create resources and how we can use them in our class another great example of using a game in class that I think works really well with a lot of teachers is uh, teaching strategy stations that a lot of teachers use where you have one station is like a video, maybe with comprehension questions. The next station is uh, maybe a reading article. The next station three would be where you learn how to play the game. And you can have them fill out different questions to make sure they understand how to play the game before moving on to the next station where they play the game. And then the last station is where they answer questions about what they learned through the playing experience. So thinking about how to integrate games by being flexible with your curriculum or your instruction or your um, ways that you instruct and also how you can modify the game, I think is really important.
0: Yeah. I think being willing to modify your games is well, I mean, unless your whole goal is we're going to sit down and play this game, which almost never, never is right. Uh, At least not professionally when you're doing it as an education somehow. Um, The, the goal is we're, going to play a game and it's going to help this way and we want to keep people engaged right it doesn't necessarily you could say i don't care what game it is as long as it meets these criteria then make your game meet your criteria there there are games that we have at the library that i never teach by the rules right i'm like here's how we're playing this game Mm -hmm. and it, the play because we need a game that will finish within a certain amount of time, or we need to to deal with more players, or people with shorter attention span, or any one of a thousand other variables. And the, I have had some of the people come up and say, "Oh, that's not how this plays." Here's the rules, and if it's an adult, uh, or you know, not one of the teens who's there to, to play games, uh, I will say, you know, you're correct, a thousand percent correct, but. I'm trying to get the kids playing games and having fun or whatever. And if it's a kid, I'm like, great. You learned this game better than, better than I taught it. Congratulations. And you really play up the, Hey, you've figured that you've figured out the secret sauce and then they feel more empowered. Right. I mean, and, and that's sort of another thing that games should do is not make people feel anxious and horrible, but instead make them feel better about their ability to do things.
1: Right. And I think you're 100 percent 100% spot on with the idea of not worrying about the rules too much because again, it doesn't I mean, you're not in the classroom to to play the game by the rules. You're in the classroom to learn and engage with the content or the topic. And even if even if they're like completely butchering the rules, as long as they're taking away what they're meant to be learning in a classroom, I think that's fine. Mhm.
0: Yep. And you can yeah. You can also say, by the way, this is a slightly different version of the game. Mm. You will read the rules and kids won't feel bad about that. If it's like, oh, okay, we're playing it by these rules, but if I want to play it with my friends, don't be surprised if if is played differently with four people instead of with thirty people or however <laughs> you're doing right. it. Okay, well, that's exciting. I think that that's that's good. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about today, or shall we save the rest for a follow-up
1: conversation? <laughs> I guess maybe one thing that we're just talking about the rules that made me think of a, a story in my classroom is I had created a game, and I mentioned this earlier in the show is about business negotiation. And one thing that a student called me out on is like he wanted to talk to me after class to make sure the rules and the numbers that I had used in the game because it's a very much like, you have to sell this many iPhones i think it was for this much money to complete your secret company goal and mm-hmm. he wanted to make sure all the teams were balanced so he sat down with me after class and he like wanted to ask me questions about other companies and what their goals were and how much how much money they started with and it was kind of it was pretty fun because i was excited to talk to him about that but i think he was kind of a little not happy because he didn't get a fair chance at the game so i would caution some rules. I mean, I kind of went over with him, like, well, maybe I I did spend a lot of time to make sure it was balanced. But if it wasn't, I apologize. But the idea was not to win the game; it was to, you know, to experience and practice the grammar, practice uh, oral speaking skills, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I would caution. I mean, it's fine to be flexible, but also make sure, like you said, make sure you're kind of mentioning to your students it is not the exact rules of the game. Um, yeah.
0: I mean, most of the time with the folks at the library, I say, here's how you play this game. And I don't tell them that it may, I may have left a couple of rules out Mm. because it's like, oh, this part's horrible. We're not going to deal with it. Or if we do this, the game's going to take forever. They don't, they don't need to know that when they're first learning the game. Um, Right. Yeah. They're going to play it over and over again. Also with the example that you gave, then there's not a problem with depending on how the game plays, right? And saying, no, these positions are not all balanced. And part of that is, is that's the way the, you know, business works or whatever it is, or in a game like uh, civilization or diplomacy or other games where board position really matters. And there's a whole bunch of players. It might be, yes. And your goal as a team is to use your weak position to your advantage and get other people to ally with you and, and help each other out. Right. And, and get them to see that this is Alliance building. This is part of this business thing. And and of course it may not have been appropriate for the game that you had, or it may have been something you actually did discuss with the student. I don't know, but like, yes, this is the big company. This is the IBM or the Microsoft. And <laughs> yeah. you're trying to be the upstart Apple coming up and, and making your own market and doing a thing. Uh, and That that perhaps with that, it's like, yes, it's not supposed to be balanced because that's part of this is you as a group overcoming the imbalance of the system and, and making it work to your advantage. But it's exciting when, when you've got a student or a patron coming in and having these kinds of in-depth questions about something you've been doing. It's like, oh, it's paid off. It may blow up in my face, but I'm so excited that somebody cares enough to come and talk to me about this.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's super exciting. You know, you you know, your students are engaged if that's happening for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, did I miss anything or did I destroy any of your points by my poor explanation?
1: No, no. That was, that was really good. I think we had some good conversations. All right. Well, um,
0: Dustin, I guess uh, let people know where they can find you and what you can do for them if they want to hire you uh, or, you know, where, you know, what you've been talking about lately on uh, board gaming with education.
1: Yeah. So we, I guess I didn't mention this. We were initially a podcast. That was our, that was how we started. And then we've grown into a larger community and now we do a, we'll eventually do events again in like board game classes, but that's in the LA area. However, we do have games on our website and we curate our games for learning experiences. So we don't carry every board game, every popular board game out there, but we just select ones that we see as great family time games or great games you can use for at home learning or in class learning. And we create resources for those. So right now we have most of our science based games with learning resources. We're expanding into other content areas uh, now, I guess, we're just starting to look in the ELA and ESL resources, so I have some already resources created for ESL, I just need to kind of re-evaluate them, reformat them for our website um, so if anyone has questions about using board games, they can reach out to me, podcast at boardgamewitheducation.com or again, any social media, if you search board gaming with education, you'll find me, and I'm usually the one in charge of answering those <laughs>
0: Nice. I, I will say that uh, for English as a second language or for using games with other languages, is we are almost past the glory days of getting games where I've bought this game and it has the, the rules in it in like six different languages. Like, mm. So many English publishers are just putting out the English version in America instead of Oh, look. This is the same game in all of these different languages and your your rule book will teach you a little bit of Italian, a little bit of German or or whatever.
1: Right, right. Yeah. I don't I don't see many rule books. I mean, we have a few games we bought in Taiwan that have the Chinese rules and we've had to look up the English rules.
0: Yeah. But there are. So if you you can find some publishers that still do that, and that, that might be an episode in and of itself is talking about which where you can find those kinds of translations. So um, I don't know if it'd be a full episode, but something we're talking about.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh,
0: well, great. So it's the board gaming with education website and go there and check out all of Dustin's cool stuff. Uh, do you have other people working with you that you want to shout out?
1: No. Yeah. Roger. He is um, helping me with creating resources and do a lot of other stuff on the back end with board game with education and helping promote to, um, and he's been working with me since uh, last July. So we started we started doing this last July and we kind of launched our store with the resources in November last year. So we're brand new and we appreciate any support. And again, we are open to talking about anything. If you are just at the site and you're not sure if a game would be right for you, you can again send me an email. My phone number actually is on the website too. So you can call me through my Google phone number too. That's brave. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's that's a Google phone number.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Not my not my personal, but yeah, Google phone number. I do get crossover phone calls every once in a while looking for someone else.
0: <laughs> okay, well, excellent Dustin. Thank you for joining us and everybody thank you for listening to this episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. I'm Donald Dennis. You can still find me all over as Wellspie.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast. You can find out more about us and the people who create this show over to inversegenius.com and all of our other wonderful, wonderful shows, including on board games, on RPGs, the Inverse Genius podcast, and the Room Escape Divas. We are also now joined by the Party Gamecast and Nephilim, who you might remember as Stephanie, previous co-host here on the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast, and our friend, Lynn Theory. Thank you for listening. Games in Schools and Libraries is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System.